At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Welcome to Healthcare Americana, coming to you from the Freedom Doc Studios. I am your host, Christopher Habig, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. This is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We talk to innovative clinicians, policymakers, patients, caregivers, executives, and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and have a desire to change it. We take you behind the scenes with people across America that are putting patients first and restoring trust in American healthcare. Anybody who's ever listened to the show knows that putting trust back in American healthcare hinges on the relationship between a doctor and a patient. End of story, full stop. Fifth of our economy is built on that relationship. Joining us today is Dr. Jim McDonald of Clarity Direct Primary Care out of Kansas City. Dr. McDonald, thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Honored to be here, Chris. The pleasure is all mine, I absolutely assure you. Talking about that relationship and that interaction between a patient and a physician, and again, there's so many different ways and so many different hands in the pie, but that's really where the entire healthcare system is centered. That's what happens. That's how we effectuate business. That's how we treat people. That's how we keep people healthy. What has been your experience as a relatively new, in this day and age, direct primary care business owner and physician? How has that last six months really impacted you to be able to effectuate that relationship with your patients? Well, you know, the name says it all, right, Clarity? It's it's really been relieving, I would say, for me personally, because there were always forces in the room with us driving decision-making and driving the relationship that were beyond our control. Insurance forces, hospital forces, employer forces. I've had the pleasure of working from everything from an insurance company to a hospital to private practice. And so I've felt pressure from different points along the way, whether it's to refer internally versus externally or uh, to uh, use some imaging centers over others based on less than uh, quality criteria. And all those are gone. I, I don't have that. It's really been a freeing experience from that standpoint. And it's allowed me to talk more frankly with my patients about options as well. Getting to know patients on a personal level. I like uh, a while ago, we said, you know what? Doctors like you are turning patients back into people. They're not just quantified coming in, getting out, treat them as treat them. That whole philosophy is gone. Right. And you know, the thing is, Chris, I think I gave people the time when I was in private practice, but the pressure was unbelievable. The ability to sit and talk to someone, to look them in the eye, not look at a computer, to force the pressure points out of your head and make a, make a decision based on that, on that patient's welfare, that could be very difficult uh, to do. And it came at the expense of you personally. 
your paperwork built up because you weren't doing it in the room with the patient or you spent extra time talking to someone or you got to know them. You got closer to a teenager who was depressed or you got closer to someone who was troubled. And yeah, you can do those things, but you're going to pay for it. Some Somehow you're going to, something's got to give. And for me, most of the time that was that was a personal sacrifice. That was time spent after work catching up on all the things that I didn't do while I was while I was fostering those relationships. You know, now that's totally different. I have I have the time to sit down and really put the patient in a relaxed environment and talk to them for a while. And I'm more relaxed. So that comes through as well. Yeah, so I, I I'm really curious about that. You kind of hinted at this emotional toll that it took on you in those high pressure types of practice situations. And it's, it's kind of funny because whatever I say, like, yeah, doctors are unhappy, this and this, and and people immediate rebuttal is, well, yeah, they're get paid well to be miserable. Yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, that is, that is such, well, I guess, I guess paid well is a relative, uh, relative thing. You know, I think a lot of, a lot of my patients don't understand. Also, there's a quite a disparity in income in medicine. I mean, there's, there's quite a difference between a family practice doctor and, um, some of the subspecialties. Uh, the, the degree of misery I I would contend is just as high in a, in a busy, um, primary care clinic where you're trying to decide on uh, chest pain, you know, (laughs) quickly, (laughs) As it is, but uh, you know, so well, the paid well is is a relative term. Let, let me let me just say that starting off, and, and that that may very well be. I think, though, if you if you really look at the economics of the situation, if you look at the time spent, I mean, I've done analysis when I worked at a, an insurance company, and it's really not a bonanza, you know, in terms of wealth and income. If you look at the investment, the time that's been spent, and the uh, resultant income subsequently. And that's what a lot of people just scratch the surface with, right? I think today's society is just fixated on headlines and not actually reading the rest of the article and forming an opinion themselves. Just like you said, like we have only a very select few of people in this country who can actually attain to be a physician. Right. Just flat out from the educational standpoint, the intellectual, and actually giving a crap about your fellow human being. There's only a certain number of people that are able to achieve that level. And so going back to the high pressure situation, you were in there for, like you said, for, for decades. Do you ever look back on it now? And again, you know, relatively new DPC practice. Do you ever look back and say, why in the world, or maybe the better question is, how in the world did I ever put up with that? Honestly, Chris, you've touched a nerve and I didn't expect you to. Um, that has been probably the majority of my reflective uh, thought uh, over the past time I've been in DPC. I've lamented at the effects that it has had on my family, uh, my children, and I found myself wanting to be an advocate for younger physicians who um, are considering DPC. In fact, when I when I built out my space, I built it out with uh, extra room for other physicians, thinking that I wanted to give them the opportunity to participate in this. You know, I've had years and years and years to build a clientele. I can be full with a DPC, but I don't want to limit it because I want to offer that opportunity to other other physicians. Not in the sense that I want to build an empire, but in the sense that I don't want them to 
to do themselves and their families over the next 20 years, what I did to mine over the last 20 to 30 years. And I know that sounds, but I missed a lot of things, uh, Chris. I was absent uh, at times and little things, uh, just charting on the weekends, you know, I mean, trying to uh, trying to catch up, uh, uh, call, uh, those sorts of things were horrendous at times. And I think that, um, yeah, one weekend, not a big deal, but the, it's the cumulative effect of these things that um, is so powerful. I also think that physicians have a tendency, you know, especially I was a medical director for a period of time. And so I felt an, a need to set the example. You know, I felt the need to produce. I felt the need to see lots of patients. And I felt the need to not complain about it. <laughs> so I was an advocate for my docs, but by the same token, I felt like I had to step up and do the go the extra mile, and I did. But that comes at a price. And I, I, I now that I'm in DPC and have, I just have a sense of calm and comfort that I didn't have before. And my family has a sense of calm and comfort with me. And I think it's it's really been revealing to to make that transition. We hear about, hey, I need to go in this because I can't take work home with me anymore. We hear that a lot. You know, people call about work-life balance and it's big. And, and society in general is now emphasized, you know, you need to be, you need to have the right headspace because there's better performance that comes out of that. There's better decision-making that comes out of it. We can't be redlining for the next 30 years professionally. It, it's just impossible. I really want to focus on what you said that really piqued my interest. We're talking with Dr. Jim McDonald, Clarity Direct Primary Care. You talked about specifically and intentionally building a space in your practice to help show younger physicians, the next the next generation of people that we are going to trust with our health, show them that there's a different option out there for them. They don't just have to go into, quote unquote, the machine and go sign the first hospital contract that comes their way. Give us a little bit of insight into what you did and really why you did that a little bit deeper, because I, I think you just kind of scratched the surface of really what you wanted to say when you mentioned that earlier. So, you know, I, I worked for a hospital for many years before I went into private private practice. So I understand uh, I understand that system. But I think a lot of times, especially with the younger, talented docs, they get they really do have good intentions um, and they really are good at forming patient relationships if they're given the opportunity. And I also think they are, they tend to be good people who can, uh, who can really build good families and personal lives. And they're faced with a system that pressures them away from that and away from the patient relationship. And, and those pressure points I talked about push them out of the room and push them away from the patient, actually encourage them not to be close to people and close to families and not to get to know families and not to get to uh, know really the circumstances that, that those families are under. And so I wanted to show them that there is a way that you can, you can do that, that you can maintain a close relationship and still be professional and still be influential in their lives. And that has been huge, especially, I'll tell you where it really has come to fruition is with the younger kids in the patient population I take care of too. They really, they really do start to open up much, much more with me as well. And, 
And that is uh, just a factor sometimes of time, of spending time with them, of demonstrating that you know them, of saying things like, hey, how's your sister at college? You know, is she, are, are you doing okay without her? That must be a big transition for you. You know, things that you'd never say during a, an appointment for a sore throat, for example, or an appoint, or a checkup, because you don't want to open a can of worms. You don't want to be in there for 15 minutes. You got a 15-minute appointment. You don't want to be in there for a long period of time. So you, you don't go there, so to speak. And so I wanted to show younger docs and other docs that this is a possibility. And I've gotten a lot of interest in that regard. I have people who now want to join me, who want to be a part of it, who are saying, wow, I didn't know if you were going to make that or make it or not. Now that you are, I want to be a part of that. You know, <laughs> do you think I can do that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? Everybody wants a winner, right? You went through, you went through medical school and residency. Yes, you can do DPC. Yeah, you know, yes, you can. Uh, you know, and it's worth it to you and your family to try even even if you have self doubt, let's 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 be positive and give it a try. You know, you can always go back and take that hospital contract if you want to. You're still going to be very much in high demand. If- yeah, they're still going to want you. But shoot for the best first, and then if if you're unhappy, you can always go back to that. But you won't be unhappy. Absolutely, and, and I know my team at Freedom Healthworks has really enjoyed working with you uh, through this process and and helping you achieve those dreams. Now, I still want to stay on that topic of showing the next generation of physicians that this is feasible, because a, a lot of docs will, and, and I've been on calls with them to say, "Now nah, this sounds too good to be true. What's the catch?" And you're saying, "Like, well, I'm saying I I I was where they were, Chris. I I felt that way a bit." You know, I was recruited for years by some of the other, um, you know, concierge uh, national chains. And and I kind of felt that way. And I, I, I didn't want to be a, be a part of that per se and turned down for years and years. But when I met the DPC community, I had a different sense of what they were about. It wasn't just how do I court the rich. It was how do I give excellent care. I felt like concierge was courting the rich, and I didn't want to do that. I felt like my altruistic side wouldn't do that. But when I met the DPC community, and I mean that, it, it was uh, intoxicating. They were, they were true blue. They really believed in excellent patient care and relationships and cultivating those relationships and using that as a gateway to outcomes. And I remember some of the studies that I had reviewed when I was with our local insurer when I worked for them on outcomes. And a lot of the outcomes were correlated with patient satisfaction scores and how they felt about their doctor and relationship. And I thought, wow, this this really does correlate without why aren't we cultivating this? Of course, nothing got done because dollars and cents kind of got in the way. But I think that this sort of was confirmation for a lot of the things that I'd seen over the years that were happening. And the people were so um, so sincere about their mission that I really wanted to be a part of it. And I think that if younger docs are exposed to that, that it'll be intoxicating for them. I, I, don't, I don't think they'll be able to resist joining if they're exposed to it and see it working. And one element that is really talked about is succession planning too. For the past few decades, if a doctor wanted to retire, you're just like, well, I'll just kind of send everybody out into the wild and lock my door. And with no 
absolutely no bearing on the fact that you've you've, you've built a a million dollar a lot of practices multi million dollar business that nobody really thinks about. And this has continuity. And so we're seeing that right now with kind of that first wave of, of direct care physicians who are saying, you know, I'm in my 60s and 70s. This has been fun. I need somebody to come in here and transition my patients and then eventually buy my practice out from underneath me. So it, it, it's injecting this just normal business life cycle into practices. But for so long, hospitals have pulled a hood over physicians' eyes and saying, hey, just sell your practice to us. When in reality, all that means is that a hospital just consumes your patient base and signs you on as an employee. And I'm thinking to myself, you're smart people. What do you mean this is selling your practice here? So what you're doing is actually quite the opposite. It's a smart business move that any other business owner out there would say, no, when I'm ready to retire, I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to get a multiple on the revenues. I'm going to get a multiple on the EBITDA. Something that shows that there is not just a generational value, but this thing can live beyond me and get compensated very well for that. And so, you know, with this, that's one thing I love and that a lot of physicians just, it's not even on their radar that you can bring on, not just show the next generation of physicians that, hey, this is real, right? But you've created a nice little nest egg for yourself beyond just your typical 401k or IRA or whatever it is. Right, yeah. And I think, you know, when I when I first started in medicine, I guess I'm really old because when I first started uh, in medicine, hospitals were not into doctor ownership. There was more private practice. By, this is my young partner who's buying in over time type of processes. But that in the really in the 90s and early 2000s kind of went the way of the dinosaur. I mean, hospitals just were gobbling up practices and employing doctors in their contracts just were getting more and more restrictive and, you know, more restrictive covenants and more pressure to produce. And, you know, you refer to our doctors and just uh, that whole process just accelerated. And I think this is a way that we get back to that secession planning where you do choose people who you can hand off your patient base to who can go in the room with you and you can say this, do you mind if, uh, you know, my new doctor comes in with us, uh, I'm going to be on vacation next week and, uh, you know, I want him to follow him or her to follow up with you and gives them an opportunity to demonstrate their relationship skills and to move in and, and they have an instant ready-made uh, business that they can step into and it gives you confidence to be able to step away and also to stick your head in the door every once in a while, you know, to see your old friends because those relationships don't die, you know. And so it gives you an opportunity to say, hey, you know, Dr. McDonald's in the office today. You want him? Would you like to take a and Oh, yeah, I'd love to. How is he? You know, those sorts of things. It's music to my ears. It's all about continuity of care. Right. And like you talked about, like knowing knowing a teenager's family, knowing updates on what that is, you don't get that from a revolving door of white coats and, and green stethoscopes. You you just can't. And so your patient falls there. That's one of the reasons why we, we you know we're pushing for you know non competes to, to to be absolved from uh, physician contracts from hospitals because it's all about patient care. It's not about the physician. It's the continuity of care to make sure nothing falls through the cracks. And that's a shame that, that the higher ups or whoever's pulling the strings of that healthcare system, that healthcare industry, just doesn't realize that. Dr. Bredal, we're going to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsor, Freedom HealthWorks. If you're struggling to convert interested people into members of your direct care practice, you are not alone. 
Top challenge report in direct care is patient sales. Whether you dread potential patient phone calls because sales makes you uncomfortable or because you are simply occupied with saving lives and taking care of people, Freedom has a great solution for you. Enter the Freedom HealthWorks Enrollment Desk Service. So if you dread the anxiety and time commitment of patient sales, the Enrollment Desk could be your answer. Contact Freedom HealthWorks at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com to chat with a team member or schedule a demo. Back to our episode. Please welcome, once again, Dr. Jim McDonald of Clarity Direct Primary Care. Dr. McDonald, before the break, we talked a lot about really the business side of, of trust in healthcare. And I, I think, you know, trust is... It's one of those five-letter words where it can mean a lot of different people, and a lot of people can put window dressing on it and be like, oh, yeah, I trust this person. But how do you build that relationship up? I want to focus this this part of the episode really on kind of what drives you out of the office. I'm one of those people that I dread when people ask me, so, hey, Chris, uh, what do you do? I hate that question because I, I follow up with uh, for fun at, at home, you know, professionally, how do I pay my bills? What are you asking me here? Because I, I, I just want those people like, I never want to identify with the title on my business card. I think you're somebody like that too. You have some incredible passions. I want to hear about your hobbies and kind of what makes you tick and what makes you motivation, gives you motivation to get up and go into work every single day. Wow. That's a, that's a loaded question. I, um, <laughs> I tell you, I've, I've always been passionate about my family first, you know, and I have, uh, I have, I have three daughters that I'm, I'm very, very attached to and uh, very, very into their activities and sports and lives, of course. My wife and I have the pleasure of having an acreage, and so we have, uh, I don't want to hear any McDonald farm jokes, but we have, uh, we have five dogs and two cats and horses and chickens and we we have uh, we have quite the menagerie. The people who come over call it the McDonald biome because we have everything from Martin houses to uh, <laughs> to uh, cats, you know. And that really has been our hobby and our passion. We're kind of hobby farmers, if you will. Uh, we love the we love the outdoors and we love the environment. We love watching the seasons change and hiking and doing things that most people wouldn't want to do, like like chopping wood and and uh, building fires and doing all the cowboy stuff. You know, we love that. So that that's kind of our, our lifestyle and our, our, our passion. But believe it or not, we're also very much uh, city people. We love, uh, we love interesting food. We love cooking. We love all those sorts of things. So, so a pretty, pretty well-rounded lifestyle outside of the office. Um, our passions center around charity also. Our children were raised volunteering and so they've volunteered from everything from homeless shelters. Uh, we have a wonderful organization here locally that they have worked with. And uh, my middle daughter continues to be active even in college, which I'm very proud of on her own. And uh, it, it's been good. So so we spend a lot of time doing those activities as well. And it's it's fun. We I don't like to blow, blow our horns about that, but I'm proud of them for, for keeping that tradition alive. Between that, it keeps that in work. It keeps me pretty busy. I know how this sounds nerdy, but I love academics. I love reading about things too in medicine, and and so I love getting an article, you know, on something relatively in depth and obscure, and reading about the pathophysiology and going back to kind of the basics every once in a while. So once a weekend, I kind of take a deep dive into a subject. 
uh, whether it's uh, you know lymphoma or some other issue, and try to try to bone up from the ground up. And that's kind of that's been a, a joy of mine too. So that's me in a nutshell. That's one of the reasons why I love working with primary care physicians because for so long, like the word generalist was just kind of poo-pooed out there like oh you know good at a lot of things but not great at anything but what you just said was so fascinating because you don't hear that from somebody who's so 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 super specialized that that is their entire world and i think we're seeing a shift back to that kind of renaissance mentality that you know what it is valuable to have a lot of range right and be able to have the flexibility not just in social skills like it makes you a far more interesting person to talk to but in professional and helping people because you're pulling in different clues and different experiences from all walks of life to help solve problems. And like, that's why I, I commend you on that. And, and that's why I love asking that question to kind of see that, you know, how broad is somebody's experience day in, day out and how do they effectuate that into things that they truly enjoy doing and truly enjoy loving. And there's a, there's a lot of crossover. I mean, when you get a, a patient doesn't exist in a vacuum, you know, I mean, you just don't have one problem. All these things interact with each other. And that person comes to you, especially when they have multi-problems. Um, you can't just segment that out in a specialist. You have to look at the interactions between uh, their medicines, their, their different disease states, and kind of put that together. And that's an exponential increase. You know, when you're on three medicines, it's, not, it's three to the third power possible interactions. It's not three different interactions. And so you have to think in terms of a complex organism that has has all of these different um, processes going on at once, and how how does that fit together? You know what what are you going to treat? What are you going to let the specialist do to that person? Are you going to let them operate on that person? You know, I mean, I, I always tell the story. I had a lady; she's 101 years old, and they wanted to operate on her feet, and I said. No, I don't watch them now. You're 101. Don't operate on her feet. She's fine. <laughs> you know, let me let just we can deal with this together. But she wanted to have an operation on her feet and it didn't go well. And so, you know, it's it's one of those things that you always have to be considering the complexity of that person. You cannot just pigeonhole specialties. One of one of my pleasures though is talking to a specialist and using terms that they understand and giving them a complete in-depth picture as if I was another cardiologist referring to another cardiologist, having my homework done, having my workup, my basic workup done, and then asking them a specific question to help us out. And that is in a true consultant role as opposed to having to take my patient over and start with basic evaluations I like getting all that work done up front and being kind of the the captain of the ship, if you will, as opposed to pigeonholing that problem. Well, there was an open spot right there to, you know, plug the the Chiefs right there as a quarterback for your care. Yeah, I had I actually had a dentist uh, call me that the other day. He came in and he said, well, you're my quarterback, so I want you to uh, – <laughs> he was having a little issue with his uh, uh, medication – and he, uh, he said, well, you're, you're the quarterback. You're going to make this call. You're going to call the play. And I said, okay, well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do because I'm going to reduce your meds right now because you've lost weight. And so I think that's the issue. And uh, I know you have a specialist, but I think that's what we ought to do. Well, it shows it. And, and time and time again, we, we ask, you know, we would say, hey, patient, why did you join this practice? And they're like, well, because I have a trusted person who's on my side. 
I have a doctor on speed dial. I, I, it's like a doctor's in my family. I have an advocate. Right. And I answer this question a lot because people say, well, you know, what are the demographics of, of your patients? And I say, you know, demographics is a really poor measure of people who join these practices. It's more psychographic. It's people that have experienced really bad healthcare and don't want to go back. And they know that calling Dr. McDonald is going to be their best way of either staying healthy or staying alive. That's exactly right. I think, I think uh, also, Chris, there are people who think of themselves as bulletproof. Everybody's met them. They think, oh, I don't need the doctor. And that is, and that's one of my favorite, that's one of my favorite demographics too, because they think I don't need these guys. They are the ones I love pulling them in. I love going through their family history and looking at their risk and pointing out where their risk is and how we can avoid it. And all of a sudden they're seeing, uh oh, maybe there is some risk on the horizon for me. And maybe this guy can help me avoid that risk. And that is that is huge for the bulletproof patient, I call them. They they just uh I, Doc, I'm I'm thirty years old. I go to the gym every day. I'm fine. Okay, let's let's take a look at that. And uh let me let me ask a few questions and see how fine we really are. And let me identify where your risk is. And that's, that's, that's a huge thing. Typically, with talking to you, uh, they get to know you. They see you understand their family and their family history and their risk. And they want to be a part of what you're doing. And it's, it's really kind of that. Those are the most gratifying patient acquisitions for me is when they, they really start to see, uh, wow, yeah, I didn't know that, Doc. Thanks. I'm, I'm happy that you pointed that out. And that's really gratifying. Do you ever ask them, hey, why didn't you come and see me a couple years ago? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times I do. You know, most times those guys are brought in, usually by a mother or a wife or a, <laughs> or a, or a son or, you know, that some, someone brings them in who says, this guy thinks he doesn't need you and he does. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that, that's the typical situation. And that's, the, that's that advocacy that, that I love. It's not just treating a physician in healthcare as reactive. When you're reacting to something, it's probably too late. Right. You know, there's a lot of things that could happen. And that's where we see massive costs in the healthcare system because everything is reactionary. People give, again, kind of the word of the day here is window dressing to this preventative aspect of it. But God forbid you go into an insurance-based clinic and you say anything other than, hey, I'm here for my quote-unquote free visit. It's no longer preventative. And now you're going to be racking up charges. And it's a punishment. It, it, it is absolutely perverse incentives in an insurance-based product. Where they talk to you and they say, well, hey, Dr. McDonald, you know, funny thing is my knee is clicking when I walk up the stairs. Or I have a little bit of chest pain after, you know, a couple of beers, right. whatever it is. And all of a sudden you start building those pieces. And so I love when people are like, well, you know, Chris, tell me what you do professionally, right? They answer that, they ask that question. And I talk a little bit about freedom and what we're doing there. And they're like, well, I'm not sure why I need that because I got really great insurance. And I say, well, so when you get sick, who do you call? And they say, well, I don't call anybody. I don't go to the doctor. I was like, should you? I, know. I mean, I mean, <laughs> do you know what's going on underneath it? And they, they go see a dentist every six months for their teeth. And I'm like, do you know how many different systems have to be working in perfect harmony in your body? And you don't go see anybody to get, you know, just a typical checkup. <laughs> like, this is mind blowing. Yeah. So there's this tremendous educational piece that, that people need. And uh, once, once they get that, especially when it comes from the physician and it's personalized and they say, Here's the educational piece in regards to the difference between insurance and healthcare. And here's how it applies to you. And here's the benefit that you personally can have from this. 
And then once they once they realize that, you can say this is the benefit to society from this. This is how we decrease cost. This is how we we all are healthier people. And this is how we overall stop the bleeding from one-fifth to one-seventh of the economy that has been out of control for the last 50 years. And I think that gets a lot of buy-in and it gets a lot of buzz as well when, when people get together. Those revelations, once they've been educated, once once someone buys in, it's like an ex-smoker, you know, they just, they can't stop talking about it. So it's a, it's a good thing. And, you know, you mentioned kind of the macro environment there. And what's cool to see is that you're not just talking about it, right? You're not just some kind of politician on, on the road kind of stumping for, hey, it'd be great if we did this, this, and this. We've heard a lot of that over the past couple of decades. None of it's actually come to fruition. What you're doing is actually real. It's tangible. You're showing people that there is a better way to access care. There's a better way for doctors to be happier. And look at all these great things that come after it is, look, I'm keeping my patients out of the ER. I'm keeping them out of urgent care. I'm keeping them out of surgery. I'm keeping them out of specialist offices. Those costs decrease across the board. Dr. McDonald, last question for you and, and kind of tugging on that thread, talking about physicians. What is your word of advice, quick hitting word of advice for physicians who are fed up with it and considering leaving medicine altogether? Oh, well, first of all, that breaks my heart if, if that's the reason they're leaving medicine. My word of advice for them is to consider other options and consider really, I, I changed my whole world at 62. I completely abandoned a lucrative partnership uh, in order to uh, be out on my own for something I believed in, and I've never been happier. And I think that you have to really erase all the things that you've been trained and incentivized to do over the last however many years of your career and say, how do I get back to the basics to the pure thing that I want to do, which is be close to patients and help them through through their lives and avoid illness and treat illness. And this is what led me down that path. And that would be the word of advice for them before you left completely, because we can leave. We're capable people. You know, I mean, I've I've made... I've made money other other ways as well. When I devoted myself to it, I was able to make a living at other things. But this is my passion. This is what I want to do. And I think for 99% of us, this is our passion. It's what we want to do. Really think about how you could do that and and reshape, your, get your brain around ways that you can uproot your life and, and do it differently. And don't be afraid. Words of wisdom right there. Dr. Jim McDonald. Clarity Direct Primary Care. Thank you so much for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Oh, Chris, I'm, I'm honored to be on your show, and uh, I look forward to working with you guys in the future. That's going to do it for this episode. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com to catch previous episodes. Subscribe to our mailing list and visit our fantastic online store. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. 
Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.